Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. This promises to be an interesting show uh, because we've got a fired up chat already. There are there are haymakers being thrown. See Paul King already in the chat, and I want to thank him for being here once again. He says, "Hey, T. Franken guys, I have to, if I have to hear one more person whining about the lack of explosive plays, I will jump out of a high window." Well, guess what? That's kind of going to be what we talk about today, <laughs> just a little bit. Like we'll talk about the defense, and and uh, Sean Fitz is here. Sean Fitz was at the game. And uh, until about 45 minutes ago, I think, he was still in Chicago. So, Sean Fitz, you are a miracle worker. Thank you for being here live on the show 10 a.m. It wasn't quite that. I'm not quite a miracle worker. I did save Nate Bauer's marriage. Uh, we had some – American Airlines is not a sponsor, right? Okay. No. Uh, yeah, we had some We had some interesting uh, experiences with them last night. And, uh, yeah, ended up taking the nice little tour of Pittsburgh, which I didn't expect to, to get on my nonstop to stay college. Um, but we got back late last night. I'm very tired, but, uh, you know, I watch football for a living. So like the adversity that we faced is not the worst thing in the world. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's the worst thing anyone faces in the chat today. And I hope everyone has a great day. Hope everyone had a great weekend. Beautiful weekend in Chicago. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Uh, a little hot for my taste, uh, for, for turning into October. Um, but, uh, you know, again, the things that we complain about the adversity that we face, we're going to be fine. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, no, thanks for everybody for joining us. Thanks to Paul. Um, we don't advocate jumping off of tall buildings here on this show. No, um, but yeah, I, I I get it. Yeah, that's that's the only thing that we're hearing. Parroting is a good word because it is it is started and just taken on a life its own talking about no explosive plays but penn state uh 41 points sleepwalking to 41 points i believe someone said on the podcast last week that that's something that they could do and that's why he yeah. predicted 45 points so i shout out to that person whomever it may whoever be whoever it was uh penn state with another win five and oh going into the uh the bye week not the off week the bye week yes yes that was very important that James Franklin uh, underscored that several times that this is an area and a week of extreme improvement and not a time to just take off completely. I want to, so after watching, you know, the offense specifically and watching that back, uh, my opinions for the postgame show for uh, haven't really changed. Usually there's some nuance and there's some things that, um, you know, we can get into, but I, I, I kind of saw what I saw, and, and I'm glad that you're here so that we can have a conversation about, like, it's not just, I, I wanted to throw my opinion up against somebody else other than the chat. Chat did a great job, but they were, they were, they were toasty uh, Saturday after the game. So I want to get another balanced opinion about what you saw on the offensive side specifically. And uh, to, to see Paul King, uh, that is why we're going to be talking about it, because it is the interesting thing. Although I do want to, Fitz, I want to start here as you did on our incident analysis video. This defense is awesome, and we never talk about them. We take it for granted so so much. I mean, you look at the sudden change to start the game on, what, the 12-yard the line or something like that, 11-yard line, and three points. Three points is a definite win there. I mean, obviously, if you can get them to miss the field goal, great, but three points is a definite win there. Also, why you don't predict a shutout. Uh, I believe that was a conversation from last week. But they are so fast and so... I mean, you don't talk about explosive defense, but like these guys are pretty nuts and that defensive line is coming along. Um, and, and, and again, you know, the, the measuring stick is, is three weeks away. Um, yep. you know, but you can't know how that's going to happen until you're three weeks away. Like you get it's the same thing that we're doing over and over is like, well, they did that against Northwestern, but can they do that against Ohio state and Michigan? It, it really just gets so very old. And I'm going to be up there on that ledge with Paul. Uh, see Paul King there if, uh, <laughs> if that's what we got to talk about for the next three weeks. But that defense yeah. was uh, that was a just uh, brutal in the best way showing. They just brutalized Northwestern, um, especially a defensive end. I mean, you look at yes. what like Adisa Isaac had one sack and that was his one tackle for the game. And that's like, OK, that's not a good stat line. Like all these guys are eating into each other's stats. Yep. By doing a three and a half sack game for the defensive uh, defensive ends by doing, you know, Chop Robinson didn't re register a tackle. Chop, Chop Robinson was still pretty active uh, yeah. on Saturday until he came Big out part of their limp, victory, limping a little bit. Uh, those guys just they uh, as uh, denied Dennis Sutton said after the game, they went with their fastball, which was hit the Northwestern offensive tackle in the mouth as hard as they can drive him back and then go after the quarterback. And yeah. it really really works i like I, I suggest doing that now a little bit more um uh you know i don't want to say gap responsibility you know the quarterback did get away a couple of times but you're going to have that when you have that kind of pass yeah. rush and now you're starting to see some of those guys in the interior and northwestern's not a good offensive line we know that we knew that coming in they had an injury i think on the first series of the game to the right guard so the defensive tackles came and they did what they had to do, which is you know, which is be fine to good. And uh, Zane Durant was really good. So yes. that defensive line sets the stage. Um, the, the the linebackers are kind of exactly what we thought they would be. And Kobe King played one of his better games. Tyler Elsden, Nate highlighted him last week. Mm -hmm. uh, he's doing a good job. So just kind of everyone doing their thing. And 
yeah, here we are taking them for granted, um, giving up uh, 13 points with three of that basically a gift on the doorstep. So um, yeah. I, 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 that's what I like about this team. You know, we're going to hand ring all we can about the offense, but the defense is going to have them in every single game. I believe, I firmly believe that. And that includes the big ones. So um, yeah. I'm glad you started on the defense. So you spent all summer talking about the offense and Drew and the receivers and all that kind of stuff. And that's still worth talking about. Absolutely. But kind of unfair to that defense, which is elite. The, the progress they've made too, uh, defensive ends. I know something you, you talked to a bunch of the defensive ends and, and wrote about over bluewhiteillustrated.com of their ability to get into the game and affect it from start to finish was really impressive. And you mentioned like there are certain things that are just not going to happen later in the year, like Adisa Isaac running straight through a right tackle, like with no, it was, I, I want to say it was like an RPO and he got a quarterback pressure, which should never happen. Like the ball should be out immediately, but like they were just so dominant in that game that the, it kind of puts you on that level of these guys can contend with the guys with the teams later in the year, because look what they're doing against uh, opponents that are not on their caliber. And the defensive line, I think is that the tackles specifically have done a good job of, of improving in the areas they need to, in order to give everyone else the opportunity to make plays. Uh, you know, you mentioned Zane Durant, but I think just generally they've been better at hitting their marks uh, throughout the the last two games specifically, and that leads to the absolute domination that we've seen. Um, was that really a test for the secondary? Because uh, we came, I came into that game thinking, like, this is the first time they're going to see actual balls thrown their way, and then the defensive line was like, hey, no, it's not. So are, what, what are we yet to learn about that part of the defense? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, Ben Bryant, uh, for, for all the gutsy plays that he made, was not an accurate thrower of the ball. Penn State really has still has not seen one of those this year. And they'll see, yeah. I think, two and a half, maybe three of them um, the rest of the way out. So like that's that's part of playing in the Big Ten. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're going to look at McCord in a couple of weeks, which you don't like you think, like he, you've seen him make those, like that that throw he made uh, to get Ohio State to the doorstep and, and beat Notre Dame was an elite throw. Um, you know, has he really put it together everywhere? I don't know. JJ right. McCarthy's pretty good quarterback. Uh, uh, Talia Tungavailoa is, you know, has has had a great year and he's uh, he's a pretty good one as well. But other than that, you got the Big Ten, so that's where they're at um, yeah. being tested. But KJ Winston, we said we've been saying it for weeks. Like him in man coverage gives them so many options. And Daquan Hardy's playing lights out right now. Like he yep. is running routes for receivers. They are so confident there on the outside. Um, the pick was like as gifty as you could possibly get, but yep. it was a culmination of him like playing a really good game all around. So um, you just look at that, and there's just I don't want to say there's stars everywhere, but like that's the, the way that the defense has come around and you really can't say enough about it. Like, and I know, like, I don't know, are we going to hand ring over 13 points? I, I hope, I, I surely hope not. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a spoiled element to this, uh, to this whole thing right now. And that's that Penn state's winning by four touchdowns and we're kind of like, this is, this is how this goes. So, <laughs> um, so it's all very fun. It's all very fun, yeah. but yeah, that, that defense, we can't talk, we can't talk enough about it, even though we're not going to talk enough about it. Uh, it is the bye week, so we're going to be uh, shifting things a little bit around this week. I think Ryan is going to be joining me on Friday because there's no game for me to preview on Friday, but we're still going to have elite content during this week. So please subscribe here to the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. We're not going anywhere. We're going to be giving you season-long breakdowns, looks at the first five games, looks ahead, all of that stuff, and 
Homecoming's coming up. Whether who, no matter who plays, it is always a fun time to come back to Happy Valley and relive the glory years. And that's why you should go to Ticks Man Gym to join the most exciting atmosphere in college football, even against UMass. It's going to be an exciting crowd. So call 302-521-8380. If you've been looking for a reliable source of Penn State football tickets, check out Jim at TicksManGym.com, formerly PSUTicksMan.com, running his ticket exchange in New Wellington, Delaware for over 25 years. Check him out, 302-521-8380. 8380. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, Fitz, with the, let's, let's dive into the offense, though, because there are some interesting things, and, and conflict and, and drama creates the most interesting things to talk about. Um, so I'm just going to give you a, a one stat, and I want to get your opinion on this particular situation. Dante Cephas, seven targets in the game, two receptions. Um, I guess the, the leading question is how much do they miss Trey Wallace out there being a non-factor, even though I think was he was he available this week? I, I wasn't even sure because he was questionable on the he was out there. Report. Yeah, he was out there and he did less than he has in previous warm-up sessions. I mean, is that a situation where you're bridging the gap? You know, you've got the bye week on the other side of Northwestern. You know, you've got UMass on the other side of that. Um, so just get him as healthy as he can. You don't you don't need him to beat Northwestern as as prickish as that sounds to say like it's it's also true but yeah they certainly miss him i mean it's this it's been the same storyline for for three weeks now you really miss that second option on the outside i thought kian keandre played a really good game like it yes. was a very efficient you know 80 84 yards or whatever he had um didn't get in the end zone but like he's the guy that they need to go to um in those clutch situations and i've and i've found them going to other guys is it giving them a chance or is it just, you know, kind of taking what, what they give you? I don't know. I haven't done the, the full rewatch yet. Um, but Cephas, seven of those targets, I think there were two or three where he wasn't even looking like there yeah. were, there were miscommunications, misroutes, uh, whatever you want to call it. And is that on him? Is that on uh, Oller? But when he's downfield blocking like 12 yards yeah. and he's the only receiver on the, on the side of the formation, I, I, what are we doing here? Like, like that, and that's bad. And and you know, just rewatching it, you know, I said said he should have had that touchdown catch, and that would have been a great touchdown catch. It was a phenomenal route. Like Northwestern mm-hmm. was sitting on that stuff all day, like sitting on the the comeback routes because that's Penn State all all the Penn State was doing. So they set it yeah. up. He ran a beautiful double move. Um, Drew's got to get that ball out sooner. He gets that ball out sooner. It's not really an issue. Um, but uh, yeah, that's still this still would have been a, a really nice catch. But I agree, like the the lack of efficiency there is is kind of what scares you. And it's not like it's not straight drops. It's not you know it's 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 a culminate or it's it, it's a combination of things where it's bad yeah. routes. It's um, you know not sitting in the right part of the zone or or whatever he he may have been doing. So I mean, it, it's been a jump for him. Like mentally, it's been a jump for him to figure out where he needs to be on the field. And that that's not ideal. Didn't see Malik McLean. Um, I think he played one snap on offense. He's the guy that they gave a shot for. So I think they're trying to push, excuse me, they're trying to push guys into that role of a secondary option and guys really haven't taken the, the next step. I mean, Liam Clifford has started games, but he's only getting a few targets per game. I don't think they're asking him to do 
that secondary role that they've asked McLean and that they've asked yep. Cephas to do. So I think that yep. that's that's an interesting wrinkle to it as well. Clifford has been good at what he's been doing, um, but I, they, they haven't. I, I don't know if they don't see it. I, I just uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the uh, what the, the the rewatch says about that one. But, yeah, they've asked these guys to step up and, and so far it hasn't happened. It's it's part of the conversation. I don't know if it's the whole conversation with Drew Aller and the way he's been playing, but it certainly is a large chunk that if um, I, I never want to dive into receiver trust, right? Like, cause I, you have no idea knowing that if a quarterback is actually avoiding his reads because he doesn't want to throw to a certain receiver, but every quarterback has their certain preferences. And clearly Drew Aller has kind of defined what he likes to do with the football and what Penn State is asking him to do with the football through five games so far. Um, the, the, the personality of the offense, how, how do you feel, especially in this last game where, you know, we went into the game, it was interesting. Cause I, you know, we talked about this. I predicted explosive plays last week. I was optimistic that this team could get big plays against Northwestern. And I thought it was interesting. Even a guy who's not associated with Penn state on a regular basis, Jake, Butt on the broadcast was like, this is the week they get explosive plays. Um, is that a concern at this point for you? You know, with yeah. with all the things that we just talked about in terms of missing pieces, all that stuff. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be harder to string together drives against those big defenses on the schedule. Like that's what they've sort of made their money on is these long, you know, coming out of third quarter, holding the ball for seven and a half minutes. You know, the, the things that, you know, a good ground game will get you. But like at some point you're going to need like, you know, I hate to compare it to a video game but like you need that quick strike like you need yep. something like just to, to get you going and and sometimes you just throw deep for the heck of it but um no i i think it is a concern like i i think again the offense has been i, I hate to use efficient but they've they've done what they need to do put to put points on the board um has mm -hmm. that come at the expense of some of the other stuff that they used to do. Yeah, I think it has. And I think that that's concerning, like not, not to the point where it's concerning that they're not going to score, but to the point where it's like, you're going to need that at some point. And yeah, I just, I, they're not dangerous enough on the outside to, to make that happen whenever they want, you know, back in the last decade when they had Godwin on the outside, when they had Gusecki, you know, the, these guys that could make those big time plays down the field, you were talented enough to do it on the outside. I, I don't know that they are. And yeah. I think that that's really what's coming back to bite them is not a situation where you're, you, or maybe it's a situation where Mike Yersich is like, why take the shots if we're not going to hit the shots? And that's, mm -hmm. that, that is concerning when you're talking about championship expectations. Part of this is, um, you know, there's, there's shots, right? So there's, we're going to run a nine route down the field. We're going to run a double move. We're going to run a post and like the primary, objective of this play is to get that big shot but then there are plays where you've got options right so you've got uh maybe a corner route or you've got a deep in and it's the it's up to the quarterback's discretion and his read of the defense where he goes with the football so i think that part of it is is a more conservative approach given they know how good their defense is i think that's absolutely fair to say i also think that the trigger man is somewhat responsible for this as well and he is consistently throwing the ball underneath to what are fine decisions, right? So we're not even saying like this is a bad decision, but it's just a decision where he's not very aggressive with the football and you don't want him turning into Josh Allen to, you know, make the false comparison again. 
but do you want to see him be a little bit more aggressive? Because this is this is the thing from the post game show that I, I'm I'm doubling down on here today is like I think Drew Aller is a part of the conversation of why is this offense not more explosive? Well, the quarterback gets to choose where he throws the football, and he's thrown to Tyler Tyler Warren in underneath routes. He's throwing the comeback routes that uh, every once in a while Keandre Lambert Smith can break a play, break a tackle, and make a play. But like these are not aggressive decisions by the quarterback. Do, do you think that that's fair or is that you know kind of a a do you have a different view of that i think it's part of the conversation and i think it's you know because of that immense talent we kind of forget that he's five games in and that's that's part of bringing him along and i know i know you know you've got championship expectations you got an undefeated team and and that doesn't not go hand in hand with bringing along a quarterback like you're you're expected to have a quarterback in place already if you're a top 10 team that's kind of how it works um, so, yeah, I think that's part of the process. I think that, you know, I, you don't want to say trust because I don't I'm not sure that's the same. That's the right word. But like, you know, you're you're batching up targets for guys, like certain yep. amount of guys. And, and you know, sometimes that works with your best guys. But at the same time, Cephas had seven targets and the efficiency is low. Like w- there's re- there's really not much rhyme or reason to the way that they're choosing to throw the ball. And sometimes that's good because it makes you unpredictable. But at the other time, at other times, it's, you know, you can lead to performances like Saturday, which was, you know, not his best, obviously 18 of 33, I believe it was. I mean, it's tough. So um, I think you've got that. I think you've got, um, you know, questions about tight end usage and things like that, which you always kind of have with Mike Yersich. Um, But uh, yeah, that, that, that's, it's, it's so interesting that five games in, we thought we had a bead on what the offense was and we thought that we had a bead on what the, the offense was trying to be, but you mentioned their identity a little bit ago and I'm not really sure what their identity is, you know, like it's uh, yeah. the, the, the identity is, is scoring over 30 points and that's fantastic. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, how, how are they getting it done? What would you categorize this offense in? And that really doesn't matter, but like you, it'd be nice yeah. to know. It, so I think one of the things that I've noticed is they do want to become more of an outside zone team, which is, you know, kind of more of a zone based offense, which is what Mike Yersich was doing previously in his career. And he's had to, like, learn and adapt at Penn State with what they were good at. And I think partly what Penn State from the top down wants to be. And there's a little bit of just general evolution of offenses over time. You're not going to be you shouldn't be the same offense from 2014 that you are in 2023. Um, so it, it it is an interesting thing of like it's hard to know if things are going the way they want when the running game is not explosive because one of the reasons you run those zone actions is to get seams in the defense and to get explosive plays. Um, so the the conversation, we'll, we'll get to Steven here first and then I'll continue my transition to the running game. Steven says, can't you scheme open wide receivers? Penn State offense hasn't done it good this year do you agree with that that they have not done things specifically tailored to getting receivers open for those big plays and they're running i think everyone assumes they're running just their base offense all the time there's not a lot of specific stuff for each game not really like it's it's been kind of different every game the the thing is i mean they're they're sort of capping themselves like if you run past 20 yards like the, the, the way that I would judge this is like you watch this team. They, they when they run somebody deep, they sub in receivers. They haven't really done that because they haven't run anybody deep. Like <laughs> I know it's there was a couple of times they took some shots downfield. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, yeah. Sorry, I just got a text. I just see. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it, I don't think there's any sort of. I don't want to say concern, but like remember those crossers from West Virginia that beat them like, yep. 
kind of gone by the wayside, moving Drew around the pocket and and things like that. I think that those are the things that you kind of miss. Um, the I don't want to say the schoolyard aspect of it, but that that's what that's what turns into big plays. A, a big play does not have to be throwing the ball fifty yards down the field. Yep. Like a big play is something where you can find Keandre Lindbergh Smith coming across the formation and, and doing some really nice things. So I think that that's, that's kind of what I'm missing. It's not so much uh, the, the straight routes or anything like that. Yep. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That's, but that's part of, it's funny. It's part of the function of why I thought this game in particular, you mentioned those crossing routes. That's why I thought they were going to get big plays because we've seen them do it against defenses that aren't as good as Iowa. So they didn't do it. And, and to me, like coming out of this game, one of the reasons why I have a little bit of concern is because of that. Like you expect them in those situations against those teams to replicate success and they, they didn't find a way to do it. KJ Johnson says so hard to criticize a young QB for basically being a game manager, but he needs to be special to beat the two big boys coming up on the schedule. So yeah, I think that that's a fair way to summarize that. Um, I, I, I just, uh, the let's get to the run game now because it's not just all on Drew Aller. Five-star guys coming in are going to have a lot of potential and also a lot of pressure. Do you feel like Nick Singleton is playing with pressure, or is this just a function of the offense isn't clicking right now synergistically between him and the offensive line? Yeah, I think he's trying to do too much. Like I think he's he's being a little bit overpatient and trying to, um, I, I would say, stick his foot in the ground too quickly and try and get upfield too quickly. And like that's happening here, and then that's happening there, and it's not it's not lining up. And I think that yeah. that that's been what's been tough because like holes have been there. Like I know everybody like wants to drag on the offensive line. And I know you've got, you've got opinions about this and we've talked about this a couple of times coming off of recent games. Um, but like there are, there are schematic reasons that those runs should be bigger and it, it's not happening. So I think that that's, I think there's a lot going on up there. Like Trey Potts looks like he's running like a veteran, like, uh, and yeah. only had a couple of carries, but he's done a really nice job and he does not have those physical gifts. Like he's not a fast guy. He's the, but he's, he's taken what, you know, he's really made the most of what his abilities are. Nick just, yeah. I, I don't know. There's a lot going on there. Like it's, it's, and it's not, I don't think it's physical. Like I was asked about that in the, after the impressions, like it's, it's not like he went on and put 15 pounds on this, this, uh, this off season. Like he's yeah. pretty much the same guy physically, I don't know, man. It's it, it's been tougher to to pin that one down because I don't think I don't think a lot of it's physical. I think he's still tremendously talented. I think he needs to you know be a little bit more elusive, more able to you know get away from that thing. He's he's running hammer into nail, and yes, you know, yep. There's a lot of uh, hammer's going to win that battle, but like at some point you you, you know you got to uh, bounce off that and go. So I, yeah. I, I'm still encouraged by some of the things we see with Nick, especially the pass catching. Like that's been a phenomenal add to his game. He's been really dangerous uh, in the open field there, but you know that's not that's not the bulk of his game. If he gets twenty carry, if he gets twenty touches, seventeen of them are going to be carries, and he needs to make more out of that. Yeah, I, I, it's just they are using him in a couple of different ways and getting him out into the open field. This is something I had a conversation uh, with people about in the off season. They said we want to use. We want Penn State to use Nick Singleton more in the passing game. We want the them to be part of the receiving game. But now you've got a check down quarterback. Like, that's that's the function of throwing to the running backs is you don't throw explosive plays down the field. If you target screens and running backs and things like that, I think it's also a part of the conversation of trying to get Nick Singleton going is also throwing 
less valuable targets, which he's still getting good yardage, like in the game. The reason I bring it up is because he led this game in targets, and I believe he was like second or third in Illinois in targets as well. And you would say in those in those games, like Penn State wasn't explosive. Well, yes, they were throwing their ball to their running back. And as much as he is an excellent football player, his targets are coming two yards down the field, not seven or eight to create those, generate those explosive plays. So just kind of a side note in this conversation of the, the intricate webbing of what creates and what causes all of these things to happen. Uh, something I came out of this, um, you mentioned the, the offensive line. Um, your view of their job so far in the last couple of games and you know the situation with JB Nelson, I know that if there's any information, it, we're not talking about it here, but like they now have had to go through two of their starting left guards. Are you concerned about just the the replaceability and the depth at this point after having so much coming into the season? Now it's officially being tested. Yeah, and we talked about this in the preseason. Like every injury is going to have sort of a chain reaction, and now you're playing Venga over there, which Venga's been serviceable certainly. Um, yep. And and. I, again, I haven't done the full rewatch. I'm going to lean, lean to you for the offensive line. It's always going to be better than people think it was in the first watch. Um, that's just like a, a cardinal rule of, of how we, we evaluate things in, in live versus rewatch. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they were, it, it was really interesting. So Nate, Nate, we did that stand up the other day after the game. Yeah. And Nate's like, they got to be better on first down. And I'm standing there like, they were averaging about seven and a half yards on first down through the first quarter and a half. Like first down was was really not an issue. It was so tough to pinpoint the issue because it you know it was second and four, second and three, and then it was third and two. Like I, the second down efficiency, which is not really a uh, like a, a stat, like, yeah. But uh, that's that's really where Penn State struggled. They found themselves in third down all of a sudden, you know, out to out the uh, out to punt. Um, so like that that was that's that, that was the hardest thing about pinning down this offense on Saturday is they were kind of getting what they wanted on first down, putting themselves in great spot down in distance and then just not really doing anything with it after that. So yep. I, I, it's tough because, you know, that, that reflects well in the offensive line. You know, you, you'd love to have 7.8 or 7.5 yards per play on first down. Like that's fantastic. Um, and a lot of that was on the ground and, you look at Nick's numbers and you're going to be frustrated. I mean, he's still at 80 yards, but you're going to be frustrated by the 3.8 yards per carry because you know that he's capable of much more and you've seen that he's capable of much more. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think the offensive line again, been fine. Like that, the, that is not the, that, that's not really where the finger pointing goes in my just general consensus of the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I, I just want to point, I think this is an important point to make and Fitz, you and I have, both made this point over the last couple of years talking about offensive line play and offensive lines. There are elite offensive linemen, but you don't have to be knocking guys over to be a good offensive line that is doing your job. Like doing your job doesn't always mean like just for a shortcut, the PFF grades are going to be excellent. Like if you don't dominate a dude, you're not going to get a great grade. And I also don't think like you need to look at PFF grades or the run production of guys to uh, assess for this offensive line. Look at the holes. Look at the wide gaps that they have created. I think Hunter Norzad has done a great job of really coming on as a center in, in his responsibilities. Olu's picked it up as a run blocker, which we said coming into this year, that was going to round out his profile. But you're just... It's almost impossible to get five guys to block perfectly on every single play and give Nick Singleton this airport hangar of, of room to run. Like, But they are giving him gaps to run i think the issue for me has been there's been a tight end regression right. blocking 
and and Theo Johnson in line looked good earlier this year, but now that we got into Big Ten play, I think I think that's become an issue again. And this is something where last season I said it wouldn't happen when they would put Abdul Carter on the field and move Curtis Jacobs from his position, a veteran for a freshman. I'm not saying Theo Johnson isn't playing in the future, but in terms of his run-blocking assignments, is that something, if it doesn't improve, they can change, or do you think they will change where he's lined up, or is it a James Franklin 1% better every day, just let him get better at it? Yeah, I think that because they have Tyler Warren there, who is you know a bigger body, and he's been a better blocker. I wouldn't say he's been a I wouldn't say either of them have been good blockers. I wouldn't say Warren's been a you know great great blocker by any sense. Um, but I think you can kind of interchange those guys just because they are similar body types and things like that. But yeah, that that's a group that you know you look at some of the carries, um, you know down the down the goal line on Saturday. Um, and I know JB Nelson was responsible for one of those misses. Um, the tight ends like just have they've been in front of guys, um, not moving guys. And you, like you said, you're not going to move your guy every time. Like that is an impossible uh, expectation for that to happen. But, you know, sometimes they're not getting in the front of the guys. Like there's there's yeah. a lot of slippage and, and and things of that nature. So, yeah, I think that that's been something where if you're going to run, if you're going to run zone at all, inside zone, outside, zone, whatever, like there, there has to be a little bit of um, – gumption from that tight end group to, to take it upon themselves. And we really haven't seen that in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it's better defenders, you bigger defenders, you know, big yep. 10 defenders, like, and, and I know it's Northwestern. Uh, I was got a very good defense, but um, you know, th- th- those guys have to just flat out be better. And I don't know that there's like a quick switch. Like, I don't know if you flip flop those guys, if that does anything like that, but, but it's probably worth a shot considering how poor it was on Saturday. Yeah. I, I've just seen a little bit of adjustment, uh, from a scheme perspective, which we're going to get into later today on T. Frank's film room in terms of how they're using the tight ends and where they're using those guys. And I think it's it, it just to me, it underscores. I said this, you know, coming into the season, even though Theo Johnson has, I think, appreciably more talent than most of the tight ends that have been drafted by Penn State. And that is saying something, seeing as he's 260 and runs a four five, you know, but they miss Brenton Strange, the blocker. Like there's I at this point, I've seen enough to know like they haven't found a guy, especially in their counter game where they're pulling tight ends from the backside. Nobody is blocking the same way that he did last year, which, by the way, is where Nick Singleton got a lot of those explosive runs where he was able to follow blockers like he did in high school. And they just they don't have the same consistency at that particular scheme. And those are the subtle differences where the offensive line can be better, but one or two things don't work and. There you go. Like it's yep. not working the same way. Yep. Uh, anything? Any? Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's just those misses are you know what people see. You know you don't you don't when you get six yards on a carry. Okay, that's great. When when Theo caves in a defensive line, or excuse me, not Theo. Uh, when Olu caves in a defensive line on a quarterback sneak, you see that. It's yeah. those things. Like Sal had some bad misses the other day. Caden Wallace had mm-hmm. a bad miss in pass protection, but you know played okay. Like he played fine. Like that, and that's. When you talk about like the PFF scoring system where you've got the negative, you can explain the point system and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but like fan scoring system is the negative is minus 15. The positive yes. is plus two. You know, that that's kind of where where we where we grade these guys. Um, so I think it's been it's been fun to watch that evolution, especially at Hunter Norzad at center. Like we don't talk enough about Hunter Norzad. Like he's been yep. very good um, getting especially with what's surrounded him. When you take out JB Nelson, who was playing okay at that point, but like had a couple of those misses that we talk about, 
Um, but when you take him out and sub him in with a full-time substitution of Venga, that's a big change to make. And yep. so it's really good having a, a veteran guy like Norzad in there, making those calls for him, putting him in the right spot. He's, he, I would say he's done a lot of juggling this year and he's handled it very well. Uh, I'm, I'm not ready to put him on juice's level last year, but juice's level was again, better than most, you know, he was yeah. really, really elite, uh, really, really good center. Um, so I, I think that Hunter deserves a lot of credit for the positives in the offensive line, which I know not everybody's seeing, but uh, they're, 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 they're definitely there. Yeah. Uh, I would say juice was complete. Like he was just so consistent, but the peaks are kind of similar of when, when both those centers did their job, created some big seams in the middle of the defense. And I'm seeing similar things from Hunter Norzad. So yeah, I, I think there's some positives to take away from the run game. It's just going to be about, can they put it all together? And I guess that'll, that'll be the last thing is like, do you think that this team can put it all together? Do you think that, the areas for growth that are obvious because of the physical talent of these guys that are operating the major roles. Do you think they can put it all together when it counts? Because that's going to be, you know, the defense is not going to be as suffocating in the second half of the season. Like it's just statistically, it's impossible. They'll be the greatest defense of all time if they do that. Um, so do you think they can put it together on offense and the complimentary football can shift as we get into October and November? I think that potential is there. Like, I, I think that every single person doing the job that we're doing at every big top 10 school is sort of parsing the the negatives to yep. figure out how you can be the best version of yourself. It's not, it's not about like harping on how bad this offense is that's averaging obviously over 30 points a game. Um, it's about figuring out what the best version of this team can be. And, you know, it's good that they haven't peaked in late September, or I guess it's early October now, um, but you're going to have to peak in a couple of weeks. So Excuse me. I think that that's really where I come away with that uh, when I'm talking about the offense. And I think going back to Nick Singleton, I think there's been an overcorrection. Like he's gone, you know, so far in that don't bounce it outside. Like that's what he was yeah. in high school. Bounce it outside. Excuse me. I am struggling today. Sorry. It's, it was a late night. Um, bounce it outside run away from everybody. So they yep. over or they corrected it last year, made him an inside runner and he was really effective. And you saw that process play out. Did they go too far? Like, did they go too yeah. far back the other way? Because there's holes there. You see him thinking, you see him. I think, I think he gets through the hole in his head first. And then, you know, that, that, which is kind of how running backs work, but yeah. he gets through that, that hole. And then he looks for the next thing. And by the time there's the next thing, somebody has filled that or somebody has come by, clipped him on the ankle, done something like that. And I think that there's just, it's just a misalignment with the head and the feet and, he's a talented guy, man. He's a really talented guy, but it's it, when it, when those two things don't match up, you're going to see what you see and you're going to see him defaulting to going back inside, putting that shoulder down. There have been times when he could bounce it outside and yeah. you saw it the other day, like his biggest run, but it was a 16 yards, something like that. Nice little bounce outside did, did yeah. what plays to his strength and look like, I don't want to say he looked like what he looked like as a freshman, but he looked like what he is capable of as a running back that can go inside out. And I think that that's, that's a good thing. You gotta, I, I, you gotta think he's very frustrated right now. Not yeah. with, not so much with like, I, I think people were reading the the facial expressions like that as a frustration with the offense, the offensive line. I think he's pretty frustrated with himself because he's got a high standard because he should have a high standard. Cause he's, I think he's an awesome player. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that, that development over the next couple of weeks. I It is so interesting to watch him play and I he's an intense guy like you know I, I know we've talked to him a little bit he's very quiet he's very reserved but there's that simmering 
intensity to him. And I just, I wish for him that he could free himself up from the burden of those expectations. And it feels like the burden of being perfect and just play. If he just plays, I think it fixes a lot of these problems where mm-hmm. he just kind of goes out there. And I promised myself I wouldn't psychoanalyze him after the last time I did this. And here I am again. So I'm just going to stop. But, but that's, that's what's great about when you're a freshman playmaker and you don't know any better, like, boom, that's when plays happen. And sometimes you, you get away from that. It's like, uh, it's like you're playing Donkey Kong and you go off the screen one side and you come back in the other, you know, that, that, that's kind of how we're seeing Nick Singleton right now. So he's got to, you know, stay in the middle and, and and do his thing. And like, I, I think it'll come just because he is so talented, but it's, it's certainly, um, you know, we're, we're, we're dangering on sophomore slump territory and you know how I love cliches like that. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on and let's talk about uh, the Penn State class of 2024 here on the BWI live show. We do recruiting on Monday, so I wanted to get a little recruiting flair. And uh, it's the bye week. It's time to check in on all these things. We're checking on the health of Penn State offense and the defense and also some highlights from uh, the first half of the season for Penn State's class of 2024 players. I actually want to start with uh, Dejan Lane and show you this fits. We're going to do a little bit of live analysis here. Uh, is he faster than he was last year? This looks like a guy that is guessing less and playing more, and I'm very excited about that with his size. Yeah, Penn State went down to see him uh, two weeks ago. They were very impressed with what he was doing. Um, I will say the, the highlights that you're pulling here against Boys Latin, I watched that game. Oh, boy, the uh, the competition gap between Dejon Lane and everyone else, is it, it was something. But, yes, he's playing faster. Um, again, he's a big guy. Like, I don't think we understand how big of a guy he is. He's kind of like that Dakari Nelson, uh, mold in six, two and a half. Um, and he's going to continue to get bigger. Um, he does great things in coverage. I'm still on the fence about what he is in three years, because I think he's also a guy that like is going to like, he's pretty rocked up right now, but he's going to add mass. Like he's going to add mass. And is, does that mean he's a Sam, um, you know, I know a lot, I know a lot of people that would like to see that. Um, the only thing is you, you watch some of his games and he's probably not as physical. And I, I don't know if that's yep. a, I don't know yeah. if that's a mindset that he has, but he does play both ways. He does play a lot and he's better than everyone else. So like, don't let that guy behind you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he does look faster. I don't, I don't really have a time off the top of my head, but he's uh he's a pretty good player and I'm really excited to see his development. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems it's the low hanging fruit to compare him to Dakari Nelson, but like, that's kind of what the, uh, that's kind of what the blueprint is going to be. Uh, Nelson's going to continue to develop. I think Lane is going to see a jump in competition. Like he's playing at Gilman. And I think we remember some really good Gilman teams and some good players that came from Gilman, but I don't know that it's the same, you know, since Biff left and, and started St. Francis and everything like that. It's, it's very different mm-hmm. um, from a, competition talent type type standpoint so i think he's going to have some adjustments to make when he gets to the big 10 but like physically like he's got like you watch him chase that guy down like that's not a play that a 210 pound guy um should be able to make and you know he does that he goes out and does does a really good job so i'm excited to see it um i'm curious if it's is he a boom bust guy? Like, is, is that a situation where we don't, you know, is he just, can he just be a, a, a normal like starter? I don't know. I think he'd be really, really good. Or I think that that competition level, that, that lack of physicality might be something that he has to overcome um, in the long run. So a very, in, yeah. one of the more intriguing prospects and he's a very quiet guy. He does not talk. Um, like he's not, I know Ryan did an interview with him a couple of months ago and he was fantastic. Like there, there are guys that are quiet just because they don't, they don't feel like talking and that's fine. Um, but uh, it'd be interesting to see that personality come out in the next couple of years. 
I'm glad you brought up the physicality because that was one of the things I was a little concerned when he committed and watching his film. Some of those issues cropped up of if he does have to play Sam, he's going to have to, even if he doesn't play Sam, like he's going to, if he's KJ Winston or if he's Dakari Nelson, he's going to be around the line of scrimmage. Um, But it is interesting. I do kind of a tangential thing I want to bring up here is the conversation about safeties at Sam is not over. Like, uh, you know, I know that Curtis Jacobs and they have the talent right now to play those guys wherever they want. But Tyrese Mills, I saw him at Sam earlier this year. Dom DeLuca, I mean, as a joke, PFF lists Dom DeLuca as a safety. Like, it, not everyone got the memo that Dom DeLuca is a linebacker. No, because, he's a nickel corner. You know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the elite feet uh, in the secondary. So it, it it's it's a conversation we're going to have with Dakari Nelson and with De, uh, Dejon Lane going forward that these guys, it's not over with Manny Diaz here being the defense coordinator that they're going to play three traditional linebackers. As they recruit these guys, it could change. And and you, you've got time for that. You have time with Dakari Nelson. You've got time with Dejon Lane to come in um, start them at safety. Like if that's where they want to play, start them at safety. And if, you know, if you, if you feel like these guys know where they're at, like this is not a situation where position changes like that are as subtle as safety to Sam outside linebacker are going to catch people off guard. Um, so I think that that's, you bring them in, you see if you can do it. If you can't do it, seems like you got a pretty good Sam prospect there, which is really what we're talking about with this, this 2024 class and that you don't have an outside linebacker and, yeah. That might be the guy like, and you, it, it, I think it's sort of built into it. Like you're still going to recruit a guy like Elijah Newby or something like that, but it's sort of cooked into the way that they do things at Penn state. And they have since Franklin got here. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a, a great point there. Let's move on to Luke Reynolds because um, top five for fun. <laughs> I apologize. This is not Luke Reynolds. This is Antoine Belgrave shorter. So what do you think about Antoine Belgrave shorter so far this season? And uh, one of those guys that Penn state is, um, uh, I think you are a big fan of him, and we're not talking enough about uh, Belgrave Shorter for sure. Yeah, higher than the services would have him. Penn State, you know, the, and look, Penn State wants everybody rated higher. Let's not, <laughs> I mean, let's not get right. uh, too caught up in that. But I, I do believe Belgrave Shorter probably the most underrated guy in this class, um, and, and more ready to play at the next level than his teammate John Mitchell, who's really good as well. Um, so he's been physical this year. Um, he, he does some really good things as a tackler. It's, it's been interesting cause like they've played a lot of teams that have run the ball 40 times or whatever. And, you know, hasn't been an issue. Most of his, um, most of his highlights this year are him as a wildcat quarterback running two point plays. So, you know, the, take what you can from that. He's an athletic guy, good football instincts, but like we talk about lack of physicality with Dejon Lane. I, I don't have that issue with Belgrave Shorter. And it's and it's why, like, you you could see him being a safety eventually. Like that he's got cornerback skills, but he also is is physical enough to be a safety. So that's sort of cooked into what you're doing as well. Like that helps uh that helps everybody when you've got a, a corner that can play safety. Um again, I think he's a four-star guy. Like I I think the I, I don't really go out on the limb too too often for guys that are like below that line. Um, to say that they should be there, but I, I like Belgrave Shorter as a four-star prospect. And I think he's a guy that Penn State, I've said it before, Penn State thinks that he's probably their best defensive back commit. That's I mean, interesting. That's, that is very interesting. So um, I think that that's, uh, that's something worth watching. I know he's from Florida. You got to stay on him. You know, I'm sure there's other schools that he was down at the Swamp a couple of weeks ago. There are other schools that will be poking around um, because Mandarin is a really talented high school and there are just going to be coaches there. Um, and it's a long way from Florida. But uh you know, it seems like uh, Penn State's done a, a really nice job with relationships there. 
so let's get into then his teammate, John Mitchell, because, um, you know, the, the, the comparison I think we've made before is plays a little bit like Kalen King. Maybe he's showing more physicality this year, uh, but it just seems like that they haven't had as many opportunities for impact plays just based on their highlight film because, they're, you know, some of the stuff you're seeing him from him from offense, but coming in quarter, uh, cornerback blitzes, um, you know, quality defensive back. W- what have you seen from him? And what do you know about like the view of, of these two guys? Because you mentioned it, Belgrave Shorter is the guy they like the best, but this is also a really good corner as well. Yeah, both those guys. I mean, you look at what – I mean, it's kind of the I – mean, he's playing on the other side of Belgrave Shorter. So you've got uh, – uh, you've got – talent on both those sides and and they've got a 25 safety that's really good as well and he's probably putting up the most highlights because they they have to throw you know teams that are going to throw against them they're gonna throw in the middle of the field uh mitchell's done a nice job of of being physical i i just i i don't get how penn state like i don't know if the, like the jokes on penn state or something like that but penn state should not get two corners from florida that are that good like yeah it's, it's not it doesn't make sense like and, and fits and, so well into yeah. the defense i love kudos, the kudos to terry smith for for identifying like they identified those guys early early like and they they have some connections down there and it worked but like it's it, it's it, it's mind-boggling when you take you know if you know you get both of those guys to the end of the cycle and i'm saying that because they're from florida like i'm not yep. saying that because there's anything like really cooking there but like you get both those guys to the end of the cycle you think what's what's the catch here man like what's what's going on but i think they're both really good i've been a big fan of john mitchell from the start and belgrave shorter has really really grown on me um i i, I didn't see I, I saw they lost this weekend which is yeah. uh, see how that came about i just haven't had time to dig into that but uh really really good like really good pro- players Speaking of really good and really fun to watch, I wanted to make sure I made some mistakes here with our uh, video earlier, but you've got to watch Luke Reynolds. Holy cow, 6'5 safety. I love watching his film. What, what, I mean, I, I don't know that I have a question here, but like Penn State, once again, identifying talent early and then getting a guy as talented as Luke Reynolds to commit. That's <laughs> just... Yeah, you got to stop playing these safety highlights. Penn State fans are going to go crazy. They have the prospect <laughs> of a 6'5 safety. Manny Reynolds, Diaz uh, has had a six-five safety before uh, at Miami. There's a guy right now who's super good. So don't don't tempt him. He'll do it. Hey, I mean Dex loves big safeties, man. Dex, yeah. you ask him like you ask him where Dejon Lane's going to play. I tell you, he's got an answer for you. Uh, but yeah, Luke Luke is a special athlete there, and he's still learning how to play tight end. Of course, he was a quarterback. He had to switch out, um, but he's uh, he's really good, man. Like he's and he's like physical. I, yeah. It's tough to pinpoint who you would compare him to in Penn State's tight end room because he, he really does a lot of things good. He's a high school tight end, so I'm not expecting him to be a good blocker. Like um <laughs> that's kind of how high school tight end prospects work. Um but yeah he is physical if that makes sense coming on the heels of what I just said about being a blocker. So yeah. like that's that's kind of where I'm at with Luke Reynolds. Um it's uh it's a good team that he plays for. Of course he's got Dante Reno throwing him the ball. Um so that does not hurt. Um so I'm I'm excited to see him. I don't think he's um where Andrew Rappelier was uh, last year, yeah. As a tight end, like as an athlete, I think he's you know he's right up there, probably a little bit better in triangle numbers and things like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a couple of good ones. And you think back to it, like that was that was that was late March, early April, I think it was, or maybe I'm I'm a month off or something like that. And there were questions about whether they would take him, and you know, not just not just with us, not just with the message boards and things like that, but like internally, you're like. Okay, if we take this guy, essentially it shuts down our 
recruiting of a tight end this yep. this cycle. So do we think he is good enough to stop recruiting other tight or not stop recruiting, but to fill our spot, like to fill that that gap in in 2024 tight ends? And they were like, some of them, some people were on the fence. Ty Hal said, I think he's good enough, and I think he's going to blow up, and he has blown up. He's got yep. offers that he has not reported from top five programs like that, that schools have come along, saw the, saw what he was able to do, especially after that showcase in the Northeast. Um, he's locked into Penn state. Like he's, he's coming to Penn state. Um, but some big time schools have come after him since he committed to Penn state. And he's, uh, you know, he's, I think he's very content with where he's at right now. He is a guy, and this is always, so we're going to get into this with Garrett Sexton. And this is always the danger when you say he can be the most complete tight end I've seen at Penn State. Like, he's got leaping ability like Mike Gesicki. He's got ferocity, just maybe not as a blocker, doesn't have the technique yet, but he has got some of that Brenton Strange dog in him when he wants to go hit people at safety or, or when he has to be physical. His uh, ability at the catch point feels a lot like Pat Fryermuth and the size, the athleticism. We don't know where he's going to land on that spectrum, but when you're recruiting a guy, and if he has really, from what I can see, very few physical or potential inhibitors, I mean, that's awesome. You love that. And speaking of, I just love Garrett Sexton. I just love watching him just throw people around. Again, level of competition, I don't know, but it's just fun to watch giant athletes be super athletic and knock people over. Um, is this another guy that is going to blow up and be exactly what we just described, kind of with Luke Reynolds? Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's so hard to say he's a three star yeah. by, th by three services and he's what number 44 in the country by on three. Yep. So there's a mixture of opinions here. I will say he's gotten better every week and, yep. and you can see that progress. Um, and I think it's still going to take him time because he's going to have to build up. Um, he's going to, you know, get here at probably 275 or something like that. Um, and have to continue to build up. And it's, it's really a different style tackle than we, than we've seen. Um, yep. you know, Javen came in fairly, uh, you know, I think he was right around 300 pounds at that point. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a different build and that's going to be, take something that takes time and he's still new to the position. He's going to get, uh, when he gets here in January, he's going to get a crash course in, in some things. Um, so I'm really interested to see how he handles that. And, and once, and I think he's capable of it. I think he's mentally tough and, and I think he's going to be able to do it. It's just going to be a stark learning curve when you're going up against an Ida Sutton in your first yep. semester on campus. And, you know, Burke Meyer and Williams both found that out this, uh, this spring. So it's going to be very, um, uh, a, a slow burn, I guess I would say, but the, the promise is there. Um, you know, you'd like to see those athletic numbers continue to improve. Um, you know, we talked about it this when he was at camp, it was Egan Boyer. That was the athletic guy. And we yep. thought, I think, I think we thought that Garrett Sexton would be the, uh, you know, the sort of freak athlete. So, you know, still have him a little bit high on, on three, I think, but I think he's a, a really good prospect. And I think he's a true tackle. You've got the length, you've got the, that yep. massive frame. Like, I don't know that the highlights, because that's a pretty big high school offensive line. I yeah. don't know that the highlights do justice of how big this kid is, and he's going to continue to fill out. So I'm excited to see his progress. And he's, again, getting better every week. Watch when he reaches out to grab somebody. It's just like his arms don't ever stop. It's amazing. Um, a couple of things, too, that I think are interesting with him specifically is that, um, you know, we talk about Penn State, I think, wanting, I think, just kind of based on Mike Yersich and what I've seen of their progress of 
developing certain things. I think they want to be a zone team, and that's a zone tackle. Like, he is big, he's long, he moves really well, he reach blocks really well, um, and he's violent and finishes, despite being a really nice guy. Like, a little bit of a J.B. Nelson of, you talk to him, he smiles, he's nice, but then when he gets on the field, it's like, that dude is, I just love watching him just stop and throw people four yards. It's just, that's, it's just rare to ever watch, even... You know, more so on the high school level, it's common, but it's just it's fun to watch the things that he can do. I also think that he put on a little bit too much weight this offseason. And now that he's six or seven weeks into the into the football season, he's run that off a little bit and he's back to being more athletic and moving better. When we saw him in the summer, I thought there was a little bit too much fluff. And it looks like what has happened, you know, I'm checking in after week one, just looking at these highlights and it does look like he's moving better again. So I think once he, as you mentioned, once he gets into the Penn state training program, all that's going to be dialed in. And he is a guy that clearly wants to do all the things to be great. So he just needs to have the information and the knowledge about how to do that. Right. Ethan Grunkmeyer, another guy lost two weeks ago, came back and dominated uh, this particular game uh i forget who it was i apologize uh this last set this last friday but just generally his performance so far this season um how excited is penn state and how intrigued are you by what he can do as a as a follow-up quarterback to what they've gotten previously so we do the friday night high school thread every week and he has made it so simple like all you got to do is either <laughs> just uh twitter search grunkmeyer or go to his his high school does a fantastic job of putting out highlights and stuff like that. So he has made it really easy. He's also made it uh, pretty easy for that team to be a contender. And it's it's been interesting for, for a four-win team a year ago. And this is high school football. There's no transfer portal. There's no filling gaps and things like that. But he has done some excellent things. And it's, uh, you know, indicative of what you want to see you know, from a Penn State quarterback. And I think he's just, he's, he's a more accurate Clifford, which Clifford was a really good high school player. Um, yeah. He's he's done a great job with uh, sort of mixing, standing in the pocket, making plays with the run. I mean, this is a team that's going for it on fourth and 15 in the first half because he can make those throws. And he's, you know, obviously got a great connection with Gavin Grover, the tight end that's going to Cincinnati. I think Grover had two or three touchdowns this past weekend, but it's become routine for him to find these windows to just uh, really be so much better than his competition, which is, you know, a solid competition. It's not great, but solid competition. And uh, it's been really fun to watch his evolution because I, I just don't think this was the quarterback that he was a year ago. He's done so much developing yeah. under Brad Mandler to, just uh, to, to, to be that guy. And uh, I'm not sure like where his arrow is pointing in terms of degrees up, but it's certainly pointing up. It's uh, <laughs> he's been really good this year. It's hard for me not to say ridiculous things about Ethan Grunkmeyer. He's making it harder and harder each week. Mm -hmm. Style of play. Again, I'm just I'm going to say style of play doesn't mean ceiling. I'm just saying the way he plays the game reminds me of Patrick Mahomes. His he's, ability he's, to spin out of pressure, create, it's great. He's the Penn State defense of this class in that yeah. every week he does something and you're like, oh, man, that's really awesome. But let's, uh, you know, let's see what uh, Quentin Martin's up to. Let's see what somebody else is up to just because it's become so routine. Yep. Yeah, and his his ability to process like I, I uh, Mandler calls him the human jugs machine because it's just it's the same every time. He's a robot the way he his mechanics his Careful. accuracy. I I like it's a good it's a good thing it's a good thing that he's so uh, he's so good at those things and and his efficiency and his movement. I don't want to gush too much because it always gets a little too much, um, but he's just really good. Like Penn State got another really good quarterback and the way he sees the field, I love it. 
And it's like Luke Reynolds, like there were so many questions about taking him, not only like, again, not just with us, like internally, there's a, there's a lot of opinions in that building. And it's when, when people ask me, Hey, what's the staff think about this? It's a lot of different things and not all of it's always great. And there were conversations about which quarterback to go after and, and things like that. But this was your call. And obviously he knows a lot more about football than, than anybody uh, on speaking on the show right now. Um, so I think it's, it's been fun to watch his evolution and I think he is better than they thought they, that they thought he was, and they thought he was good when they took him. a couple more guys. We're, we're getting to the end of the show here, but, um, some local flavor. We haven't gotten to the local guys. Quentin Martin. We'll get an update on him. Not as, uh, these are just the North Allegheny highlights. He's got some great ones from earlier in the year, but just Quentin Martin, his versatility. I don't know that I've seen Penn state recruit a running back with this level of versatility. Um, are you still interested in seeing him play multiple positions? Cause I am. I am certainly. Yeah. Especially when we talk of every week about the lack of, Oh God, don't, don't do that. Quentin. Uh, <laughs> when we talk about the, uh, the lack of explosive weapons on the outside. And then we talk about the guys that are going to be back when he's a freshman. This is a guy that can play as a freshman as a receiver. Like, and, yeah. and I don't know that he's going to be full. He's not going to be a full-time receiver, but he's a guy that is talented enough to, um, you know, do what they did with Justin King and Derek Williams, you know, when they were freshmen, just throw them out there and not necessarily lean on them to be every down type of threats, but guys that can get a couple touches a game and, and do something with it. And Penn State's offense is so, um, you know, I, I don't want to say talented because it's, you know, they've shown some shortcomings this year, but Penn State's offense is, has a higher talent level than it's, than it's had in, you know, from, from a decade ago when we're making yeah. some of these comparisons. So, He's going to have the opportunity again. I think he can be Penn State's best wide receiver commit, and I like to place your Denmark a lot. Like, and that's that's a that's a good thing to have. And Peter Gonzalez is is also putting up video game numbers uh, at oh, Central Catholic. So, curious to see where that where that development line is there. But uh, yeah, I mean, offensive playmakers, you need all of them you can get, and you got to use them when they get there. But you need all of them that you can get. Yeah, and part of the reason I ask that is because just generally one of the things I said about him last year watching his film is like he is a slash player. He when when um Charles Power says that he is unique and that he is a unique running back, it's because he runs straight up. Like this the the comparison to Derrick Henry is physically he stands up and runs. You don't normally have that from a running back with who is as high of a talent level as him. So if he plays some receiver, that becomes less of an issue. If he's a slash player that causes the defense problems, I think that that is a value add, even if he isn't going to be, and I'm not saying he's not going to be, but if he is not a Saquon Barkley, Nick Singleton type running back who has all of the potential in the world to be a first round pick at that position, he can be. But he also can be a receiver, and because of the the way he runs and his style, I just think it's unique, and it provides a couple of opportunities for him uh, going forward. And you mentioned Peter Gonzalez in video game numbers. Literally every play is a 70-yard touchdown. And here against uh, Ken McMillan, here's another 80-yard touchdown. Um, how does he fit in this picture for you in terms of the receiver position? He's got the big-bodied, explosive play number one type, but kind of a limited profile in his recruiting of – you know, this is one of the few routes he's running over the middle of the field. So right. how do you view Peter in this class and, and his role within kind of this offense? Yeah, I think he's going to have to continue to develop as, as a guy that's going to be asked to run different routes. Like, it, you know, there, there's only so, so many routes you can run. But Peter, for the most part, his highlights are him running past people. He's bigger, stronger and faster than the guys that he's playing against. And I mean, that's a nice hesitation and go. Um I don't know that you're going to see that too much in the Big Ten. So yeah. he's going to have to continue to learn. I think he's a, a really tremendously talented guy. Um, that injury, of course, um, set him back. And, you know, Penn State 
was off of him for a while and came back into the mix when he's out there running 11 flats and 11 ones in, uh, in spring track season. So he's got the physical capabilities to do it. Um, yeah, I, I think it would probably take a redshirt year. Like, I think that that's a big jump to make, and especially for an offense that's really talented, like Central Catholic, that can just grind teams, you know, that they play and then it, and then go over the top. It's a really good uh, luxury to have uh, a Peter Gonzalez. So I'm excited to see. I, like I said, we we bumped into, uh, I think, an 88 on on three. I don't have his profile open right now, but we bumped into an 88. I think that's apt. I think he's a really, really good player, and people forget that 88, that's a that's a pretty good player right there. So yeah, curious to see how that works. But I think of the two, I think Quentin's got more of an immediate impact just because I think he's, he's closer, he's closer to being at that level. And the good thing is like watching this thing you, in three years, you might have Patrick Mahomes handing to Derek Henry and, and say, fans gotta be happy with that. Right. <laughs> yes. Sorry. I could, exactly I could right. not let you get away with those two. It's <laughs> I, I understand what you're going for, but it's just like, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, well deserved, well deserved. Last guy in the notes, somebody I know that you're very high on, uh, that you've been following as well, Malachi Williams. What have you seen from him through the first seven weeks of the season? Well, he's not Garrett Sexton. So I can tell you that. Oh, um, I no. was piling these in, uh, in very quickly today, so I apologize for some of the, the the errors on the screen. Now we appreciate you doing the work uh, to get that prepared. Like I said, I I woke up uh, probably a half hour ago and uh, or a half hour before the show and got a shower to to sort of knock the rust off. So I appreciate you putting all the work in behind the scenes for this one. Um, yeah, Malachi, I think he's really good. I think he's still raw. Um, but like in terms of bend, uh, snap, like off the edge, like that Penn state has not had many guys that, that get past that first wave of defenders and then close like he does. Um, he's going to have to continue to get bigger. I mean, he's like two seventeen right now. So like, he's a lot bigger than I think when they offered him, he was maybe sub 200 or maybe right around 200 so he's he's continues to get bigger and i think that he's one of those guys that has the potential to blow up in the strength program like he's he's gonna get nutrition he's gonna you know james franklin said it last week under pat craft they have more food better food like he <laughs> is going to be one of those guys that benefits from that more than yeah. anybody and he can play at 255 pounds like he can you know, do a lot of the things that we saw Zariah Fisher do over the weekend. And, uh, you know, hopefully everything stays healthy with, with Malachi because there, there aren't too many guys that, that can bend like him, that can get off the snap like him. And yep. I know we're all waiting out Jalen Harvey, but like, that's going to be an interesting comparison there. The trajectory Very of those different. guys. Yeah. Especially because Malachi Williams is taller, longer. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to say, more twitchy because I think that's a that's a competition right there because both of those guys even though Jalen Harvey is 245 250 pounds both those guys really twitchy off the end that's what they're looking for so you don't have those six six guys but like these are the guys that are making plays for Penn State's defense right now um, and you want to continue to have that because you're going to have days like you had on Saturday you had last weekend when Adisa Isaac is wrecking dudes Deny Dennis Sutton is wrecking dudes it's a good time to be a Penn State defensive end it's a good time to be Dion Barnes to have these tools at his disposal and I think those guys are coming along really well and I think that that's that's going to continue and that's that's kind of the funny thing when you take a look at Penn State's defensive end recruiting over the years is we've kind of been wringing our hands about this for a while yeah um you know you look at last year you've got Mason Robinson Joseph Mupoy um you know Jameel Lyons as it turns out looks like a really really good player but like it hasn't been like stud 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 as you would think it has been with the production they're getting on the field so yeah that's it that's an interesting one and you know i think, I think malachi williams is really good so i'll go back and just uh, i will wrap up my presentation by saying i think malachi williams is really good
Yeah, and I just one tack on to that. You look at this class of 2024, lots of dudes with awesome frames, just yeah. like guys that have tons of potential. And it, it, maybe it is in a top five class, like the class of 2022, where they were, you know, size and <laughs> they had all of it in, in certain situations with Singleton and Aller and, and Denied and Sutton. But these guys, they have some really talented athletes in this class that they need to develop. And that's what you want. If you're not going to get those guys that are everything, get the guys that can be everything later. So Fitz, that's what I got for today. Thank you for uh, jumping on with us. Once again, go get a nap, uh, recharge from your trip to Chicago and appreciate you coming on today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks for everybody joining us in the chat. I hope you guys get outside this weekend. And like, if you go apple picking, don't like, like, pick apart the tree and like, like criticize that, like, cause that's been a pretty, <laughs> pretty good thing here in the chat. Uh, I've been keeping my eye on some of that. Penn state would be Colorado by the way. And that's coming from a guy that follows Colorado pretty, pretty closely. Um, but no, thanks for everybody for joining us. I hope everyone has a great buy, not off week. And uh, we'll see you next time we see you. Yeah, I'm going maximum fall. I'm putting on a flannel, and we're going to pick some apples and pumpkins this weekend. It's going to be a blast. And the the chat, I'm very happy that they uh, entertained themselves today here uh, talking about uh, Penn State and what it will or won't be against Michigan and Ohio State. And here's the good thing. We're going to be here, and we're going to give you all of our thoughts leading into those games as well. We're not going anywhere on the bye week or afterwards. So subscribe to bluewhiteillustrated.com, number one, so you get all that inside information about what we learn about Penn State coming out of Northwestern. And, of course... Uh, subscribe here on the YouTube channel. I'm Thomas Rankar. He's Sean Fitz. We'll talk to you later. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.